Communion requires community. I want you to think back for a moment in your minds. So put your, put your minds in gear now, all right? I want you to think back for a moment and remember a special time from your childhood, especially a good time. Okay, you're thinking? Have you got it? A special time in your childhood. Now, what I want to do is I want us to go around the room very quickly here and give me one or two words that describe that. Who's going to be first? Go ahead, just shout them out. Times with grandma. Joy, good. What else? Roller coaster. Roller coaster, yeah. What else? Christmas, yeah, we do a lot, well, a lot of those, right? What else? Anticipation. Anticipation, yes. Summer vacation, something like that. Yeah, what else? Forgiveness, wow. Yeah, being forgiven, that's huge. What else? Adventurous. Adventurous. Rob's one of those adventurous guys. I know he is. Yeah, good. What else? Say again. Love. Love. Good. Thankfulness. Good. Going to Canada. That was long in two words, but we'll give her. (laughs) Going to Canada with my grandparents. That was fast, right? Good. Great. What else? Wedding day. Wedding day. Wow. Yeah. Someone else said something back here. Wonder. Wonder. Ooh. Talk to Nicole about that afterwards. Okay, wonder. What else? Family times. Yeah, yeah. So we could go on and on this morning and share a lot of these different things. Now, I want you to do something for me. going to get you a little more involved in community here, okay? Now, some of you are newer, and we understand that. But I want you to look around the room. Seriously, look around the room right now while I'm talking, okay? And catch someone's eye with whom you've had an encouraging experience or moment and capture it again in your memory just for a moment, okay? Are you looking? Don't look at me. Look around the room. This is a community time, okay? Catch somebody's eye. I know this is a hard effort, isn't it, in a room like this where you're sitting the way you're all looking at me, right? Did you catch somebody? Can you remember the event? Okay, good. Now listen, I know we can go all around the room this morning and and just do more and more of this, and everyone would have a different experience to share, likely. Okay? But I feel fairly confident, though, that each situation would have one thing in common. Okay? In most cases, at least one other person was there to share that special experience with you. So while it's possible to have significant times by yourself and alone, it seems natural for us to cherish the moments that we have together as friends and family, doesn't it? We can remember those this morning. Now sometimes when we think about the Lord's Supper, or communion as we call it, we become so focused on Jesus. And by the way, That's critical, okay? We need to be focused on Jesus since this is a representation and a remembrance of all that he's done for us and giving us 
his life for our salvation. But we can come, become so focused on that and forget that the disciples were also there. Jesus himself indicated how important his disciples were to him. In Matthew 5, uh, he calls them the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Matthew 28, he commissions them with his power to go to a world that's lost and make disciples and teach them uh, to understand what it means to follow Christ in obedience. In John 13, he sets the greatest example for us by stooping down and washing his disciples' feet for them. In John 14, he reminds them that if they love him and follow his commands, the Father would love them. And the Father and Son would come and make their home in them. He promises the Holy Spirit in that same passage. And he reminds them of the peace that he will not only give them, but that he will leave with them. And then in Luke 22, verse 15, he tells his disciples, just as they're about to have the Passover dinner together, he says this to them, I have eagerly desired to have this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Jesus' disciples were important to him. And he sets a great example for us as to how we ought to see and treat each other as his disciples and as his children. There's an old saying that goes something like this. Shared experiences double the joy, but cut the pain in half. <laughs> Sometimes that's true. We're about to share the Lord's Supper together. We even call it communion. But you can't commune by yourself, right? By its very definition, communion and community requires someone with whom you share this experience. Now, a moment ago, I asked you to look around the room. Let's do it one more time. Look around the room. Find somebody's eye. Okay? I know. It's challenging. You can do it. Okay? And I want you to focus for a minute on those individuals that the Lord has used in your life. Think about them for a minute. Perhaps it's a spouse sitting right next to you, okay? to whom you've committed your love and your life uh, and devotion and with whom you've shared so much joy and, yes, a certain measure of difficulty and disappointment. Maybe it's a close friend, uh, a golfing buddy, uh, or someone who watched the Super Bowl with you, or someone with whom you went on a vacation together, okay? Perhaps it's that loving woman who taught your children about God when they were just little ones. You see, communion requires community. We can't share with people we don't know. Family should be something we ju not just call ourselves, but it ought to be a word that truly describes and characterizes who we are and what we are to one another. Jesus really understood this as he ministered to his disciples, and he knew what was coming at this Last Supper. And he wanted to share the special meal with his disciples, who, despite their flaws and, and limitations, had to come to mean so much to him. Now, we're together going to participate 
in the Lord's Supper. Yes, we also come with our collective flaws and and challenges and difficulties. And we come together to commune with God and to remember all that we have in Christ because of his sacrifice, but we also will share in this together, just as we've shared other kinds of experiences together. So to prepare our hearts further for a time like this, I want us to read some of the very precious passages from Scripture that speak to this event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we're going to start in the Old Testament, and we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 53, and read verses 1 through 12 together. Let's do that together here as we see this. Let's read. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Great passage of Scripture, reminding us of the suffering servant and all that he's done for us and did for us. Over in John chapter 10, Uh, there is a dialogue that is taking place between Jesus and the Pharisees. And he's talking with them about the shepherd and the sheep and how they were not his sheep and there were some that were of his sheep. And in the middle of that dialogue in verses 17 and 18, he says this. Let me read it for you. The reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life 
only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus, giving of his own body, his own life uh, for our sin. And then some very familiar verses in John 3, verses 16 and 7. Maybe you even have these memorized. Let's read them together, all right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, some very great promises we have here. Let's read this together. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, very familiar passage that we often turn to in a communion service like this, we receive some instructions. And let me read these for you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we move along in that passage, there are some other verses just after those verses that are important for us to understand and know. So then, whenever whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everybody ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've not come to a place where you understand you're a sinner in need of a Savior because there's nothing that you can do to save yourself, we're glad you're here. Because we would like to introduce you to this Savior. So if you don't know him this morning, Give us that opportunity at the close of the service. And if you don't know him, we're going to ask you to not participate this morning because this service, this time together, is for the believer, the one that knows Christ as personal Savior. It's a remembrance of what he's done for them and it would have little meaning for you. So we go to the cup. We come to the cup and we have a representation here, or in the bread rather, we have a representation here of the body of Christ the bread. 
It's not a piece of bread that becomes the body of Christ as we eat it. No, it's a representation, a symbol for us. So as we come to that and we think about that, I want us to pray together. And I'm going to ask Skip Schneider if he'll come and pray for us and ask God's blessing on the bread. In our hands, we hold a symbol of the precious blood that was shed for all of us individually and as a community. This blood makes that possible. Think about that for a moment. It's the cleansing blood of our Savior that makes it possible for us to meet this morning like this, to, to know eternal life and to be in community together. Think about that as you do this in remembrance of our Savior. Lord God, we praise you and thank you this morning for your Son who came to live and minister and ultimately die for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Thank you for his provision of his body and his blood given for us so that we could have eternal life. Thank you because of this you've created a community of people that love you. God, we say to you this morning, we love you and we can only love you because you first loved us. Thank you for that love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.